0: Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill, brought to you by IT Labs.
1: Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, this episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Lab's Chief Talking Officer. And I'm speaking from an island with a big attitude called Great Britain, in a city called London. And I've got the London look. So in this episode, we're going to talk about a business that is helping businesses be more human one video at a time. And the co-founder and CTO of that company is Brendan. Welcome, Brendan. Welcome to CTO Confessions. Ah, Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Brilliant. So for the audience, would you like to kind of uh, introduce who you are and what you do, sir? Uh,
0: sure. My name is Brendan Schwartz. I am the co-founder and CTO of Wistia. Uh, we are a software platform. We've been around 14 years. We help companies use videos uh, to build their brands and, and do marketing online.
1: Brilliant. Yeah. I, I saw um, one of the uh, little sound soundbites um, making businesses more human one video at a time.
0: That's yes. That has been our longstanding mission is to make business more human. I mean, th- this is a, you know, an obvious thing nowadays, like video is a, is a way to connect with people. Yes. It's a very emotional medium. We used to say this is like funny to say now, but, you know, prior to uh, the pandemic would say short of being in a room with somebody video is the best way to connect and and communicate now it you know for many of us it is the only
1: yes um, yeah i love that and uh i, I love the uh, the idea of kind of making it more human because when you do look at marketing and 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 trying to get businesses messages out there sometimes you just feel like you're kind of having that th- stuff thrown at you you know and uh and and bringing that kind of human element into it and um, looking at your website actually uh, just to kind of um uh, kind of give you uh, your team and, and and yourselves kind of Uh, credit is is that i love the pictures the videos um and uh yeah it just feels kind of fun and warm fun that was the thing felt fun and light you know
0: thank you yeah we've um for a long time we've we've anybody you see in the videos those are people who work in the company and um putting our own culture on display is something we've done to um also help people understand make themselves feel more comfortable like we you know we're a serve other businesses or a b2b platform yeah nowadays i think things have shifted that b2b platforms are you know have more fun with it and recognize like other buyers are just people too and it's like okay to be a little bit uh you know silly sometimes or quirky but um you know when we 15 years ago the world was definitely a different place and you know businesses like needed to be more serious and that was the only way to do it so yeah being able to kind of showcase your culture and have fun and with yes. it um is something and that's like that's the part of make business more human like that's okay to make mistakes yes. and be authentic yeah
1: and i guess being the kind of co-founder of wistia you, you you've been able to bring that um that element into your organization because you can see it in the videos you know and and obviously you get to kind of meet the people without actually meeting them uh your team uh and and kind of get that connection without actually actually even really meeting them you kind of get to know people you know um yeah so the question was, was uh, um I mean was that was that something that you wanted from the word go when you became a co-founder, or was it something that you thought, oh, this will really work well? Uh
0: it's something we we learned along the way. I think we had instincts in that direction. But so when we started, it was yeah, 14 and a half years ago. I was uh, and my co-founder too, we were 23. So we did not know a lot about what we we're doing. And we were, I remember in the early days, we were very terrified of people actually knowing like how old we were or how small our business was. And uh, we made a lot of mistakes early on where we were trying to appear bigger than we were, which I think is a, is a common mistake. So I remember, um, an early version of our website, we had a page that's like the, the about us page, right? You know, you need to have that on your website and it was called instead of that, it was called management. And there were four people in the company at the time, four people total. And yeah. so what is management? It lists all four people with fancy sounding titles and, you know, <laughs> third person written bios. And like, we, we thought that's what we needed to do to be serious and, and attract buyers, which was completely backwards because anybody who looked at it, who knew what they were doing, could see right through it. Right. Like you can tell this is a tiny company. Um, and, and somewhere along the way, we started to recognize that being like, we, we should use our advantages to our advantage. We are small and you can talk to us and get, get to know us and we started um, to do that more. And almost by accident, we kind of stumbled into some of the more like, it's okay to be goofy and be a, like a little bit irreverent and, and silly and we built, um, we built a new version of the team page uh, and it was someone's birthday on the team. So I built an Easter egg where if you typed dance, D-A-N-C-E on the page, it would play like music and then have like a laser light show. And then the there were pictures of us, we would all kind of like dance Ooh, in a really, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah silly fashion. That uh, was posted by somebody on Hacker News and then went viral or like, you know, small scale viral. But that was the first that was one of the first things that we had that actually had that organic lift and kind of took off. And we're like, wait a second, like, oh, people actually like are interested or like want to see something that's like a little bit, uh, you know, not like so buttoned up from a company like this. And it's really positive feedback. And we started doing doing more like that. And it really fed on itself. So it's almost like we found our way to that by accident. Yes. Uh, because we started with this like very you yeah. know trying to pretend like we were something that we weren't.
1: Yeah. So I suppose the kind of lesson towards uh, to other tech leaders out there is is uh if you are a startup is not to kind of take it too seriously and not to kind of uh, maybe spend your kind of brain energy or capacity on on trying to be bigger, you know? Just be here. Yeah. You
0: are. I would yes, for sure and and another anecdote maybe there that's helpful is um we went to a lot of um you know did a lot of networking when we were smaller and went to um you know there's something in boston called uh the web innovators group and i remember we my co-founder and i would go to that every time it was like a great place to meet people and other you know like-minded folks and uh we were talking to this this one guy there And we were talking about what we do and he was getting really excited about it. And he had some, uh, you know, project and company of his own. But then partway through the conversation, we realized that's what he's moonlighting, you know, doing. And during the day, he was in charge of running education at a really big local company. Right. Um, And he was one of our first customers who we found through this. And the reason that he decided to pick us and, you know, use us for this is because he met us. He knew who we were he was really interested in startups and, and small things. So he was getting something out of that relationship besides just the software, just the, um, the thing. And we would not have gotten that deal or gotten that deal done if we had, you know, just, he had just seen our management page and he said, what is this like, you know, company? I don't know anything about them. So yeah, being small is an advantage. Um, and it's something that you should take it, take advantage of, I think.
1: So coming back to your kind of journey, um, Brendan, in terms of, Getting becoming a, a tech leader um, from your kind of software engineering days. I mean, how did you find that transition? I mean, it must have been a, a bit of baptism of fire, uh, so to speak.
0: I it, That's a tough one to answer because, again, starting this company when we were young, that transition I feel like was kind of a messy one over a number of years. I don't even know if it's fully concluded yet. <laughs> it's oh, hard right. to say. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I will say that I feel very fortunate that, you know, the pace at which the company has grown, has afforded me a lot of chances to to learn um, along the way versus like, you know, I think it's it's a lot harder when you're completely thrust into that and you have, it's like, you know, sink or swim. But there, there were, now most of my day is filled, I am pretty far removed from technical details um, of what we're doing and building and, and sadly do not write much of any code these days. Right. Um, but there were a number, like a big block of years in the middle where it was, that was more evenly more yes. evenly split.
1: So it's like a transition. You kind of eased your way into a more uh, purist uh, leadership role as opposed to uh, kind of, uh, unlike me, uh, who at one point actually pushed the keyboard away and said, that's the last bit of code I'm gonna ever write. Um, <laughs> and I literally have kept to that ever since. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, um, it, I mean, it must be, um, so kind of looking back over your years, I mean, what would you say is the kind of lesson that on this part of your journey, you'd like to kind of convey to other aspiring tech leaders out there?
0: That's a good, th- for some reason, this is bringing up to me, I had a conversation with a friend um, recently, who is is a, a tech leader and a co-founder. And he is kind of on his way he's transitioning out of the company that he, he started and built. And, uh, because COVID hit, he, he still wanted to stick with the company. He wanted something to do while this was happening. So he, he demoted, he demoted himself to be, uh, an engineer on the team. Cool. And he said something to me that I felt rang very true, which is, uh, he's like in, in a leadership role, I feel like the, your, your, um, like dopamine hits come months later. You make a decision and you don't know if they're right or wrong. Yes. For for many years, if you're an engineer, you can fix something that day, ship something that day, and and just that loop is so much shorter. And yes. I I really feel that. And I guess if there's some advice in just talking about how to make that transition, I feel like because that was so gradual for me, that was something that made that a lot easier, but Um, you know, I, I still feel like I am a a maker at heart and a lot of my self-worth is connected to building things and making things and, and shipping things. And that part of the transition I think is really tough. And I know that's hard for a lot of other people and like hearing, hearing this friend of mine talk about it, he's having like the time of his life right now because he's writing, he's, he's writing code and shipping it and feeling like he can end a day and he's, you know, he can look at the thing he made, which is a lot different than when you're in a leadership position and those things are... Way harder to draw those lines um, yeah. and connect what you've done to the effect it's had.
1: That's absolutely, that's quite an. In- that's a really interesting area, actually, because uh, this kind of psychology, this kind of positive psychology of feeling of progress and you're achieving something. You know, uh, up the top it can be quite kind of lonely, um, and and also as you say, the lag between something being decided and something happening, and also it being probably out of your remit of actually implementing it as well is quite hard. So to for tech leaders to kind of create that feedback loop in some way. In fact, we had a podcast uh, guest uh, previous to this who who would um, he called it scratching the itch. So he'd find a problem that he wanted to solve and would directly go and solve it with a technology solution, do some coding, and that's how he kept his uh, his kind of skills in the loop, which I thought was quite uh, kind of nice. Um, So in terms of uh, uh, obviously you know as a leader um, uh, and the kind of current era that we're living in the elephant in the room is COVID. Okay. So how have you found kind of uh, business uh, and leadership in that kind of period during the COVID-19?
0: I feel like the thing that is, and so we're in the United States um, also. And so this year, I say this year, I feel like I'm still in 2020, this past year, (laughs) thankfully. Um, is i mean the pandemic is is a a huge part of that but there's been a lot of other things happening right like um uh like the killing of george floyd and all the unrest and police brutality following that and yeah um you know we had a national election that was like uh, just like oh it it, leading leading through all of that, there were a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty this year, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was something that uh, was challenge. Like I found very emotionally exhausting. Felt very fortunate that um, to be surrounded by folks uh, at Wistia. We are very um, care a lot. Of, I, I think like a lot of leaders care a lot about the people and the team, um, and. Thankfully, we're in a position where our business um, has been is been positively affected by COVID in that more businesses are need to move things online um, with their marketing. Maybe they're doing events and then they're turning to video, um, in-person events turning to video to solve that or any number of things. And a lot of our customers uh, usage is up because people are watching more videos because they're at home. So we kind of we're in this fortunate position where we're able to really let folks on the team kind of take care of themselves. Um, and it's just, it's so hard to work and be productive if you're, you know, concerned about the state of democracy in your country or, um, you know, worried about, uh, you know, your parents, you know, um, you know, getting sick. And so it's, I think it's been a challenging year and being able to, um, Kind of give people the space to to really take care of themselves has been something that I think we'll we'll look back and, and feel proud about.
1: Brilliant, that's nice. It's a it's a very human, <clears throat> um, caring aspect to to your kind of approach there. I I, I, I guess being in the UK and um, we've had a, a Brexit here, uh, which has been kind of challenging. But um, um, I, I've just kind of seen how that could have been very different in the US for yourselves. You know, because actually there is a lot going on over there. Yeah. Um, almost like kind of uh, sit and <clears throat> get the popcorn out, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like watching a, a story unfold um, and a, quite a heartbreaking one as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, kudos to you, you know, obviously kind of navigated that really well. So in terms of uh, what, I, I guess this is more of a kind of a reflection. I mean, what would you say from a tech leadership or leadership perspective, what's your kind of learning around them? Um,
0: I think one thing that we'd, we did well here that we was a tool we kind of built up, um, when we had some previous hard, hard challenges to tackle is, you know, we've spent the last, I don't know, four or five years really building, um, like a strong leadership team. And so when you're small, right, there's nobody and you know, you're, you're a founder of a company. You're making all of those decisions yourself, um, and find yourself kind of like eventually overloaded because you have this like hub and spoke model where like everything has to like come back to you and you make a decision and you're like, yeah. this is not the right way, right way to do this. And then you finally you build a leadership team. Um, and so a lot of these things, like I remember in, it was the end of February and some folks on our team had been tracking COVID pretty closely before it had even, um, you know, arrived in the US. And so we were, uh, we were seeing this coming And it's not an easy decision for a company. I mean, all of those, you know, you can see all those companies like, you know, wrestling with this decision as it kind of was unfolding, which is, do we go remote? You know, how bad will this be? You you know, you don't have a crystal ball. You can't see the future. And so we were in that mode and we we decided to, we just kind of uh, uh, created internally a COVID task force. And then that group would be in charge of deciding, are we going remote? what's all the company communication internally around Um, COVID staying safe, anything, anything to do with that, which was, you know, a lot, especially in the U S there was a a fair amount of lack of uh, communication from our government uh, regarding this. So um, we, so so the, so the tool we use is, is that's not a thing, Chris, my co-founder and I are going to like have to make every one of those decisions and decide it's a lot of work. It's going to be hard decision-making. We assembled a small group of folks um, who were excited to to do that, told the company, um, that, and they held, you know, week, like a weekly, you know, like press conference almost to like answer questions that the team had yeah. and make the call to, um, you know, to, to, to go remote pretty early.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's something that you kind of actively faced. I, I, I was there, I'm kind of curious, was there kind of any hesitation as to whether to bother? Uh, cause I know, When this kind of kicked off, there was this kind of oh, it's not that big; it's 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 an overreaction of some sort. Um, How did that kind of land for you?
0: I think that's why that decision was challenging because I think there were certain I don't know where I I can't even remember. I feel like I was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, But like we had people like you know inside the company were on both sides of that. Like some who were super you know nervous and be like this is gonna you know end the world. I'll say maybe not so you know, but, but like on that side and other people who are like, you know, more like, Oh, we don't know. This could just be, are we like overreacting? Yeah. Um, and so that was again, helpful to clarify the, dec- the decision-making and that's a big decision to make, right. For those, uh, few folks who decide to close the office it's really disruptive. You know, yeah. we're, we're mostly prior to this been, you know, 90% of folks are in person in our office in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So, uh, it wasn't an easy, easy decision. I think in in retrospect, it was definitely the right one. I think we ended up closing first week in March, um, which is maybe like a week before other, like a lot of other bigger places in in the U S
1: yes. Yeah.
0: Um, close their offices, but yeah, it was again, like that's all to me, to me that is having a great leadership team, folks that are there who can step up to make those decisions. Um, and uh that's yeah that's been that's been really helpful that that's been when we have decisions like that that require also like a lot of thinking through it's not just like you know yeah we'll we'll close you know right like there's a lot to weigh there yes to um just be really clear about who's going to make that decision and, and give them the space to like get the right context and information they need to make
1: that decision brilliant nick as you were kind of describing that it sounds like um the yeah, the five five dysfunctions of a team i guess this is kind of like five dysfunctions of organizations in general but that ability for the trust for people to actually say what they feel you know and what they think so it's kind of it, the the full spectrum of information is there to make a decision from as opposed to a very narrow one yeah that sounds sounds good well you know uh, well done on making the right choice as a team that's great so brendan in terms of the uh, the kind of field that you're in and the kind of the approach you have towards your kind of client base. Are there any kind of innovations or technologies that you see on the horizon that you think are going to expand uh, what you're offering and um, and help your kind of customers more?
0: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I I think it's it's funny that so you know our focus is mostly B two B, and uh, one thing I think that's fairly easy in B2B, I shouldn't say easy, but you can see the future a little bit in terms of um, behavior of folks in business lags consumer trends by a number of, of years. This has been my my experience. Um, and so, you know, my world is mostly video and uh, you can see things happening like you know, when we started 15 years ago, businesses, especially B2B companies were like, we're not making videos, like no way, no how, like this doesn't, you know, make sense. And we were like, I, you know, we think every business is going to, video is going to be an important part of this. And then there were, you know, you had to be a bigger company to have an in, in-house in production studio um, to be able to, to do this. And we're like, I, we we think this is going to proliferate because the gear is getting so much cheaper. There are more people who are studying this in school or just able to learn it themselves um, so that the talent is there. And then you're going to have a new group of leaders who come up in a company who don't ask, like, should we be doing video? They're like, why are we not doing video? Because it is just how they communicate. So I think you can see trends like that coming and you can see, um, you know, in the consumer world. So we started right after YouTube had started. And that was the thing that really inspired us because... We looked at that and said this is going to change like everything about video online because prior to that you couldn't just go to a website and and watch video and have it work yeah um and uh it, so so sorry to answer your question more directly of w- what things do i see coming um i mean some of them the things i'm going to say are boring and obvious because so like podcasting uh, is, is, you know, not video related, but we launched, um, a podcast integrated podcasting into our product. And the reason that we did that is some people are like, are we at peak podcast already? Are there like, (laughs) and we look at it and think we see a lot of our customers are just thinking about it. Um, just thinking about podcasting or, or haven't considered it yet. And these are B2B companies. And we've seen those companies, over, over the arc that we've we've been around, do better business when they can build deep relationship with their customer base. Yep. And podcasting is a very, I mean, we're on a podcast now, right? We're talking yeah. about it. It's a very good way to build uh, longer relationships with customers. And a lot of, and so like a lot of businesses that we also deal with are like, we're boring businesses. We don't have like interesting, uh, you know, stories t- to tell. And I feel like that is, is not well it may be boring to like you know somebody who's not in that segment but to someone who's in that segment who wants that information yeah. um and that's why if for us like the content and and video and audio specifically have been such powerful mediums for businesses to tell their stories or to get to this like next level of depth and, and attract people so that's like a board that one i think for our world which is the b2b companies who are who are marketing yeah this is still really early innings Um, for podcasting. And so some of the more like far out tech and stuff like that, I feel like is a, still is a long way off for consumer uh, world, but is even longer for B2B. Like I'm a big, uh, I'm very into VR, uh, virtual reality. Um, And one mistake that we've made at Wistia, which if anyone from Wistia is is listening to this, who has been around a while, will laugh at is my co-founder and I, we also like, you know, new shiny things like any, you know, tech company founders, right? So, we got really excited about v r and three sixty video um I don't know when was this like four or five years ago, and uh built that into our product. It started as a hackathon thing that I built um with some other folks on the team where we we changed our player to be able to play back three sixty video so this is a video where you can you know look in any direction and like spin the thing around uh and it was like really fun from a like a technology perspective, and it was cool, and we built all this like really wild tracking so you could see what your which parts of the video your viewers were looking at so where were they looking like which you know were they focused like ahead of them or behind them and and all this way too early we're like you know talking like for for our target segment like a like a decade um too early there there are some niche uses like for real estate um travel um it's kind of taken hold a little a little bit but uh i'm kind of now I'm, now i'm rambling but like yes. for yes. for us a lot of the things are interesting applications of things that seem a bit more run-of-the-mill because they're yes. already here in our consumer lives
1: yes, right for business well it's interesting you mentioned the kind of ar because um I, I think it has been that kind of technology that's taken time to mature um and uh, I, w- I was involved in a um a webinar where they they a p- few people in the industry were kind of presenting it. and it sounds, it sounds like it's kind of moved on quite a bit so um maybe maybe being the kind of forerunner on that and getting getting your uh kind of uh technology in and understanding maybe, maybe this is a kind of good good launch point for that but uh yeah i mean it's um i i, I have to confess i can't use ai because i get very ill <laughs> i get i'm gonna get the uh the um the the uh kind of travel sickness type thing but uh I'm sure they'll figure that one out.
0: That's yeah. That's been, I think, a tough, a tough one to solve. I am not that affected by it, but it's still. I was playing a game the other day where you're floating in free space, and uh, I, I played for like 30 minutes or an hour, and I could, I was nauseous for the rest of the day. I like, could <laughs> it was, it was too much.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so AR is um, something that you've kind of looked at. And you've kind of explored the 360 stuff. Um, is there any other kind of technology that you see as part of your kind of area that? Um, is, uh, is on, on the kind of horizon.
0: Um, I think it, an interesting one is, uh, is live video. Um, again, not something that's new. Uh, but I think there's still a lot of interesting things that are going to happen when, when businesses start to adopt that more. And yeah. so in the business world and, and marketing, right. There are still so many people who do webinars um which which is live video you know more or less it's like a you know powerpoint presentation with with a voiceover i'd say um and i think and then you have like uh you know kind of a different let's say younger generation who like grew up on streaming and twitch and things like that where there is like an inherent like both like higher production values um more interaction with the audience mm. um and i think there will be a lot of interest yeah a lot of interesting things happen when there's like some like amalgam of, of that where yeah i can you know webinars and, and events kind of shift into yeah. this and start to look more like a twitch stream
1: yeah i like that yeah that's quite interesting and in terms of uh, the kind of customers that you have i mean are these uh um i mean i don't know if there's any kind of companies you can mention um but I I can imagine there, you know, this has kind of turned out to be quite a big success for a lot of them.
0: Yeah. It's so we're a self-service platform. So we have, um, you know, companies like that kind of run the gamut from big ones. You've heard of like Shopify, um, to, to, you know, tiny ones, uh, that you haven't, but it's, it all tends to be, um, you know, these are marketing teams. Who are using you know video and now audio content to to tell their stories and, yeah. and to build their brands?
1: Brilliant, excellent. Um, <clears throat> uh, so, in terms of um, in your market, uh, I imagine. And actually, I'm going to take a step back. But it's interesting you talk around uh, businesses. You know, video podcasts are there, and they're always on the kind of verge of maybe doing them or not doing them. I mean, is this something that, as a company, you you kind of encourage people to kind of stop the thinking and let's get the doing going?
0: Uh, yeah, we've had, we've one success we've had is, you know, is doing the same thing that we're telling other businesses to do, which is making, making a lot of this content. And so content marketing has been really powerful for us as as a company. And a lot of our content is around how to make videos from some of the conceptual pieces about how to write a script or think about it, um, to, uh, just the more like nuts and bolts of like, production, video production, how to shoot on an iPhone, what microphone to use. Yeah. And uh, we've definitely found a, a trend of, um, th- this has been over the last 10 years or, or, or so of companies, you know, in in the dot-com phase, there was, you know, in the wake of that design went in-house in a lot of companies. And before that it was like all agency work. Yeah. Uh, and nowadays, if you start a software company, you don't have design in-house. I think you'd get a lot of advice of like, what are you doing? Like that, that's just like a part of building, you know, yes. software. And what we're, what we've seen over the last 10 years is like that that same arc is happening for video and video production Right. that is coming in-house. And the reason for that is um, if, if you said that about like images or text, right. You'd get like laughed at, right. Like do you outsource all your text? Like that doesn't make <laughs> sense. Right. right yeah. And so like video is getting easier to make and more people, more people can do it, but it's, it can be used in so many different ways. So we're talking, you know, I'm talking a lot about marketing use cases, um, but you know, we, as a company, we produce videos for all kinds of, for internal events, for recruiting, for support, for marketing, for sale, like all over the map. And uh, when you have folks internally who understand the strategy and the direction of the company, they're able to do some things and turn it around at a pace that it's a little bit harder sometimes for like
1: external. So we've heard about your color of tech leadership. Uh, Brendan. Um, I'm really curious around your kind of leading uh, from a business perspective and um, off off kind of uh, uh, microphone, we, we spoke around uh, some of the unconventional kind of approaches that you've had to take for your business, particularly around the way in which your startup and entrepreneurial project was funded. Uh, do you want to share some information with the audience around that?
0: Sure. Yeah, we... Uh, we, we had raised angel money when we were kind of starting out to be able to take the business to the, to the next level. We'd raised, uh, two rounds of angel money. And then over, over the years, we were thankful, like, thankfully we're able to build a profitable, uh, business, um, that was growing quickly. And, uh, a funny, a funny thing happened. Maybe I want to say six years into running the business once we became profitable, um, in that when talking to, you know, friends, peers who had businesses, um, other leaders, you know, we we would describe how the business was running and and they'd say, you know, why are you so profitable? Like, you realize you could take that money and, and put it back into the business and grow faster. Yeah. And um, we would say, well, but isn't like the job of business to, you know, to make money and profit and like, we feel like we're growing like, fast enough like i i don't like you know we we don't really feel like constrained in in that way yeah. um but then you start to hear something from other people enough enough times and these are smart people uh, and then you start to doubt yourself and what and what you're doing and so eventually you know Chris and i my co-founder and i looked at each other and we're like yeah like are we maybe we are mismanaging the business like we we should be investing this money to grow faster and this kind of started this like multi-year um like era for us where we we took you know we were always reinvesting back to the business of course but we we started doing it more aggressively and we shifted from saying we're going to run profitably to we're going to run um ebitda neutral Uh and so we started we started uh you know investing in all these different areas hiring more people more advertising and um you know some so funny things kind of happen which is uh you you receive a lot of um you know like positive reinforcement from the outside for things that that look like your business is successful but may not be working yes. you know well so like when you you know you go to like a cocktail party someone's like oh that's your business and you're like oh we just hired like you know 10 people wow it must be really successful right or you know your you know mother-in-law is like hey i saw your billboard on, on the you know highway like yes. business must really be be booming and like i um, it, it's why we're like, yes, this is working. We're we're doing a good job. And the thing that we found was in, internally, when we were running uh, profitably and we had these like these these more constraints on the business, when we started a new project, we would ask, ask, well, what are the other things are we doing that are less successful that we should stop doing? Yes. And we stop doing that and start doing something new. In this mode, someone would say, oh, let's do, you know, we should do do this, and say, great add it on, you know, and just like add, 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 add. And so of course you've got all these zombie projects, you know, going along that aren't really providing value, but you're not asking those hard questions about, about what, what to cut. And so after, you know, several years of this, where what we found really was we got a lot more short-term focused as a business. Um, uh, we started to become, I feel like pretty, pretty unhappy, you know, frankly, like a lot of the things we really liked were longer term, more creative projects, um, uh, things that we, we knew were providing a lot of impact, uh, to the business. And, uh, we, so this is now like, I don't know about 10 years in, in, into the business. Um, the business is still growing really quickly. Um, we're just, you know, not profitable, running kind of EBITDA neutral. And we we got to a place where uh, we were approached by a number of different businesses at the same time who were interested in, in acquiring us, which mm-hmm. is like always like a nice place to be. And we we had, you know, because we've been a growing company over the years, like that's that's happened to us before, but we always would, you know, almost reflexively say like, we're having a great time doing what we're doing. Like, thank you, we're, we're flattered. Like, let's like stay in touch. Mm-hmm. And this time I think because both Chris and I were not as engaged in in the business because of what I was just describing yeah. we were like oh well, we could take a take a look at this um, and so we started going down the path with, with these companies one of them got more serious we, we talked to you know our investors about it of course they were excited right because this would be what would represent like a really big return for them, it would represent a life-changing amount of money, uh, for us and, and for some early employees who had, you know, not been, you know, not paid a market rate salary for, for the early years and instead compensated with equity. And, um, but when we were thinking about this, like something felt off to us about it, which was, is funny because as an entrepreneur, you start a business and you like, you're, trained to see you know you see in the news cycle right like this sold for like you know 100 million dollars this sold for a billion dollars like that's success like that's what's celebrated success um in the world of entrepreneurship so like here we were kind of at the finish line of this but like something felt wrong like felt like selling the business felt like failure to us in a, in a weird way that we couldn't really articulate yeah. and um what like really like made it clear to us is like we we were talking about like okay what would we do if we sold the business we're like well we have a really great partnership we would start another business together okay cool like what would we do well we love video there's so many opportunities in video like we're gonna definitely start a video company we could see this who would we hire ah like okay we'd hire like this person from wistia that person from wistia like all these people from wistia because like we spent a decade you know finding and building this great and talented team. And then we're like, what are we doing? We're just talking about rebuilding this company with like out, like a few of the problems that we have now, like we should just fix, we should just like face those problems and, and fix them. And we didn't quite know how to do that. Um, but we knew we were committed to not selling the business and, and the, the, this debt deal, um, is we kind of hit upon, which, which is, is, not often done in the world of um tech and software but we we raised uh 17 million dollars in debt to to buy out uh employees and investors and then we converted the company to a profit sharing model wow Um, so we did that in uh, 2017 and that's been very positive for the company because it it returned us to that mode where i was describing where um people have a closer connection to the way the businesses actually run and and the finances yeah partially because of the profit sharing partially because we have to service this debt so we have to run profitably so when the new project starts up we do actually stop doing the ones that aren't working yes and i think you just run you know a more efficient business that way
1: what i'm hearing is that a lot more people have got their skin in the game because they're kind of part of that profit and if a project looks like it's a a uh, bit of dead wood and um, you know people feel kind of more empowered to to kind of get in there and go what the hell are we doing this for you know kind of thing you know so that's great I, I think that's a great learning for our tech leaders out there um, I'm kind of also curious around uh, being a tech company um, developing software and, and and platforms and what have you um, so I, I imagine you've got quite a number of teams kind of working on your on your tech kind of creating getting the best out of them the kind of uh, you know creating high performance teams, delivering value for the organisation because obviously being a startup. Of, well, you're not so much a startup now, but uh, being a, a kind of entrepreneurial company, you, you want to get the most out of your teams, you know, get the value out of them. How, how are you going to go about that?
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think a lot of, so we, we've used like the term internally empowered team and product, sorry, empowered product teams. Yeah. And um, I am a big believer that the, like folks who make the best product are people who have like a very broad context. Like they understand the strategy, they understand the customer, the constraints of technology, ways to kind of exploit some of those things. Um, And so uh, a lot of what we think about when designing the teams and and communication internally is how do we get the most context uh, to those teams and let those teams make decisions? Because again, the people who are, Going to be steeped in that context and the closest to the customer and the work are going to be making the best decisions there yeah um, so that's like not a particularly unique perspective but it's a ama- it's hard to do in practice um i think because there's there's going to be a balance between that you need coordination right across you know you know we we make wistia which is one platform and it needs to be coherent and make sense to a customer right so you if we have all those teams acting completely independently, we'll end up with something that's fragmented. Yes. Um, and that balance there is, is challenging. But uh, in my, in my experience, erring on the side of a little less coherent, but the teams are able to be empowered to make decisions is, is worked well for us.
1: I love that. That's great. And, and in terms of being able to, so how do you manage to kind of create that kind of coherence across these uh autonomous teams
0: yeah um there's i mean one easy ish way i'd say is uh so we you know again a common very common like org design model for for product teams but you have functional reporting so we have a product team that has a pm designer a handful of engineers those engineers report into engineering designers report in, in into design so then that means the designers are meeting you know weekly designers across designer meeting weekly there's so so there's some you know you have critiques you have coherence there and then similar on the engineering side um yeah. so you have you know standards like we have something internally called the front end guild for instance that's talking about the technologies that we're using and and trying to like loosely you know standardize on that but the seat of power and decision making is like with is with those cross-functional product teams right. so they don't need to go out and like get the approval of all of engineering uh you know yeah uh, to, to make one of those decisions so they can move pretty quickly but there is this like you know you're kind of on two it's a you're kind of on two teams and i guess like the way to think of it like what's your primary team and what's your second secondary team
1: okay right yeah so in terms of you know the kind of work that you're doing uh, and, and if there was any kind of technology that you could wish for, you of consider me to be a kind of application technology genie right now, and, uh, you, you can make a wish and I can make it come true. What, what would you love to, to be available to you?
0: I, I, for some reason, cause we were talking about virtual reality. I, I have, uh, I am very excited to see where that technology, I don't even, I don't know what I would, I guess what I would wish for is, um. So using some of that, it, it reminds me of early, like the early web uh, a little bit, but the but a big difference is it's more centralized. The early web, one of the beauties is it's so decentralized and anybody, there's this like permissionless, you can just create a website and anyone can go to it. And, uh, you know, with virtual reality right now, you have like big companies making big plays there, right? Like there's like that famous you know, letter from Mark Zuckerberg, who's like, hey, we missed kind of the boat on mobile and that like we we don't control the phones that this is on. So like with VR, like, let's control the the hardware. Yes. Um, and so my wish for humanity, because I think that will be a big platform is for that to be decentralized. I think yes. you'd get a lot more innovation, uh, more creativity when you get when you have uh, decentralized uh, platforms
1: actually that's quite insightful i it's got it's got me thinking actually i think that's where that's when the real revolutions happen is when it's in the hands of the many you know uh, democracy, democratized even um yeah fantastic so as a, as a kind of as we have come to the end of our podcast brendan what what's the kind of key takeaway that you like to gonna kind of give the tech uh, leaders out there the men and women uh, in similar positions to yourself what what wisdom would you like to impart
0: it's a great question. Um, I'm a simplicity nut, um, and uh, I, I mean this is like the most basic advice, I, I think. But like when it comes to technology decisions, organizational design, um, your company goals for the year, I think, I think simplicity is uh, is paramount. And I think it's often it's it is always harder and more work to get to a simpler design, uh, less goals, right, that's going to be more, you know, arguing and and debate in order to, you know, which one are you going to cut out? It's always harder, but it always pays, I think, um, you know, bigger dividends and and is is worth it. Brilliant. So yeah, simplicity, make it simple.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that, Brendan. It's been great. Thank you for sharing your wisdom.
0: Yeah, this has been great. Thanks for having me.
1: Wow. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. It was great to see how you're helping many enlightened businesses make their brands and relationships with their customers stronger and more human. I love how Wistia of providing a service to make it easy. I really like Wistia's purposeful mission, i.e. to help businesses be more human one video at a time and through a platform, which makes the process easier and more effective. So my key takeaways from the podcast are as follows. Number one, creating the right funding model for your startup can have a positive impact on the way you run and do business. Secondly, Learning from Brendan's reflections on leading through tough decisions was really enlightening. I love the way him and his leadership tapped into the wisdom of the organisation as a whole, listening to the people, seeing what they see, hearing what they think. Thirdly and finally, seeing how Wistia and Brendan lead remote teams and making sure that they become autonomous, effective development machines was very inspiring, especially about getting decision making and setting the power to the cross-functional teams actually doing the work. So thank you again, Brendan. Thank you for your time and good luck to Wistia. I hope you go from success to success, helping every client you work with show their humanity and human face even more. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like Tech Leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high prime teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world. From all of us at IT Labs, live long and prosper. Until we meet again on the next podcast.